chapter 18 we're looking at today, the last section. Uh, we're going to be looking at, the, the text is verses 24 to 28, but if you're going on your phones, go to verse 1 of chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, because I just want to read a few sections in chapter 18 to kind of catch you up with a few things that will be important for our text. So, Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Uh, if you're using the Bibles here at the church, this will be page 927. Those are underneath the chairs in front of you. Acts chapter 18. All right, if we're all there, let's begin with prayer. Dear Lord, we, we submit to you this morning as the maker and the creator of all things who rules the world in righteousness through your King, Jesus Christ, and who promises to redeem us and to present us whole and perfect at the last day. Lord, we pray in this day that you would sustain us with your words. You would give us strength to live in light of the truth. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 18, and I want to begin at verse 1 and just read verses 1 to 3 first. So Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. Okay, so there's some background to Aquila and Priscilla. We've, we've seen this already, but I just want to remind you guys. And then looking at, um, going down to verse 18. Verse 18 of the same chapter, chapter 18. We'll get a little bit more context here. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, that's in Corinth, uh, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him... Priscilla and Aquila. At Sancreia, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. All right. So Paul leaves Ephesus, but he leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. And now we jump to verse 24. This will be our sermon text for today, verses 24 to 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, 
they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. All right. Amen. God's word. So um, Covenant Church began meeting as a church plant on May 7th of 1981. They began to meet at the YMCA in downtown Reading. Uh, and the church, the plant, was started by a man named Chip Stonehouse, who would soon begin to bring along a young seminary student named David O'Leary to preach for him. David would later say about Chip Stonehouse that he had a special gift for bringing many different people together. Uh, by August of 1981, the church had moved to the Neversink Union Sunday School Building, and in February of 1982, David and his wife, Debbie, began 20 years of fruitful ministry at Covenant Church. There are still some charter members of that original group of people here in this congregation. I believe there are four. I could be wrong. I believe there are four. I won't tell you who they are. You'll have to snoop them out. Uh, and of course, there are others here from those early years. And I bet if you were to track down some of those members and talk to them, they would be able to encourage you with all sorts of stories of God's provision for this church. Well, in the book of Acts, we're looking today at the early days of another church. And we can see from the book of Ephesians later on in the New Testament, and, and even later in Acts, we'll see in chapter 20, Paul meets with the elders of the Ephesian church. We can see this group is going to become a body of believers with great gifts and true love for Christ. Uh, that is what a church is. By the way, a group of people who've fallen in love with Jesus and are seeking to follow him and use their gifts for his glory. And I, I think the early days of the church in Ephesus can be an encouragement to us this morning as we seek to follow Jesus. So first, we learn here that we can have confidence from God's provision. So my first point, confidence from God's Provision, And to gain this confidence, we need to ask ourselves, how did the gospel get to Ephesus in the first place? We read some of the verses that show us that, but, but who were the people God used? So, Jed, if you can pull up my map here. Again, this is uh, Paul's second missionary journey. Maybe we can hit a few lights to get it just a, a little bit darker. And you can see um, that uh, Paul, he starts off, he heads through these different areas of Galatia, visiting these churches that he had already planted, and then he wants to minister in Asia, this province right here, among some of these big cities, the largest of which was Ephesus, the largest city in, in uh, Asia, probably his primary target where he wanted to minister, but he is not allowed to. The Spirit does not allow him to, as we saw earlier. And so he tries to go north to Bithynia. He's not allowed to go there either, so he ends up going over uh, west and taking ship for Macedonia, and we saw those cities over the past couple weeks. 
Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and then he goes to Athens, and then he spends a lot of time, uh, over a year and a half in Corinth, um, before he finally does end up getting to stop briefly in Ephesus. He finally gets back to Ephesus. But it's, it's only briefly, right? As we saw just a, a few minutes ago in verses 18 to 20, he speaks what appears to be once. Uh, maybe it was more than that. It only appears like once in the synagogue there, and then they, they, they ask him to stay longer, and you'd think he would want to, but he does not. Uh, maybe, we, we don't know, we can only speculate, maybe he wanted to finish his, he wanted to complete his vow, right? Jonathan told us last week about this vow he took and where he cut his hair, and uh, he had to return to Jerusalem to burn the hair. That was sort of to complete the, the vow. So perhaps he was anxious to complete that. Um, but he, he heads on. And um, I, think, I think we see, however, that the Lord does provide, right? Because who does he leave? Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, this couple that Paul had met in Corinth, and we read those verses as well. He met them in Corinth, and he lived and worked with them and trained them for a year and a half. And, and remember, Jonathan pointed out to us last week how God provided this couple for Paul at a difficult time. But now, Paul passes them on to Ephesus. He's not stingy. He can give away these dear friends because he's learned that the Lord always provides. Yeah, Jed, you can take away the mat. Thank you. Um, but of course, right, the baby church, they've got Priscilla and Aquila, but they need more. They need more than that. They need a preacher. And again, the Lord provides. This guy, Apollos, we saw in our text, he just kind of drops out of the sky. We, we don't know how he got to Ephesus. We might be asking ourselves, you know, where's Timothy? Where's Silas? Where's Barnabas? These guys we know. Uh, there's nobody left to serve Ephesus. But God is not asking that question. He knows exactly how Apollos got to Ephesus. He, he just shows up for us. He just shows up on the pages of Scripture, right? Already eloquent, already competent, already fervent, already teaching accurately about Jesus. But he did not show up that way in the Lord's book. Of course, right? God has been preparing this man from before the foundation of the world. Through all the little steps and trials of his life, the I don't know, fights with his parents and teachers that led him to this place where he is ready to serve. And of course, as he always does, the Lord has a lesson for Apollos here through Priscilla and Aquila. People are not just ships passing in the night, you know, sometimes once in a while crashing into each other randomly. The Lord brings us where we are when we need to be there, intersecting our little light with others at exactly the right time to provide for his church and perfect his children. There's a deep confidence that fills your life when you begin to see this. And we forget, we forget easily, you see, in, in the desperate, the needs of the moment, we forget to look back at the early days. You know, the early days of this church that I spoke of in my introduction, where, where God's provision can now be seen so clearly. Don't forget your history, Covenant Church. Even better, don't forget God's history. His history includes all the billions of parts you can't see now. You may never be able to see. 
But he provides us with glimpses in his word, like this story in Acts about the early days of Ephesus that build up our confidence. He's going to provide for his church. Notice even how at the end of our text, Apollos, he wants to go on and, and serve this church in Achaia, uh, the church that Paul left in Corinth that now doesn't have a, a preacher there. And like Paul, the Ephesians are not stingy, right? What do they say to Apollos? They say, go. They encourage him to go. They don't guilt him into staying they don't say, you can't leave now, Paul's not back. You've got to wait until he gets back, then you can go. No, they know now the Lord will provide. And how does the Lord reward their faith? Just peek ahead. In the next chapter, verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. They send Apollos on, they get Paul back. It's sort of like if we could look up at the night sky and we could just see all the shooting stars that are up there at once, all flying this direction, that direction, and we might be tempted to say, this is totally random. But it's not. There's a hand directing every star and every human in the universe. You go here, now here. Now I want these two to bump into each other for a time. Okay. Now it's time to send this one off here, right? Paul said this back in verse 21. If the Lord wills, I will return to you. Remember, friends, this is the hand, the hand that's controlling these people. This is the hand who, although absolutely perfect and holy, gave up his life for you. You can have confidence in his provision. Now, as we move to my second point, just a light warning for you. If you are more inclined to, to go the direction you want to go in life, rather than following Jesus' call, you may struggle to gain this confidence in God's provision. Because God does not promise to provide for the direction you want to go. He promises to give us what we need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's the daily bread we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, what we just prayed. That's the daily bread we can expect. And when we follow God's call, we can expect purpose, which I think we see also in these early days of Ephesus. So my second point will be purpose. From God's call, purpose from God's call. What can unite, excuse me, what can unite a diverse group of people? What can bring them together? People of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, uh, different ages. What brings them together, right? A singular purpose. That's what can unite diverse people. Now, we're not the most diverse group. I guess we probably reflect about the uh, diversity of our immediate community, but we're still very different people here in this room. All singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, gathering together for one or two hours a week in the same room, each week united by a singular purpose. We are following Jesus. 
We're worshiping him. We're learning him. We're being fed by him. We're resting in him. Uh, Notice some of the diversity of the people in this Ephesian church. You know, we know Paul, right, of course, uh, the guy who was able to first start this church, if only for a little bit. Paul was the privileged Roman citizen. He's a, a proud former Pharisee trained by the great Rabbi Gamaliel. And now he's an insatiable church planner. He's a pioneering missionary Uh, He's not known as a great public speaker, but he is as stubborn and persistent as a bulldog, right? That's what we see in Paul. Then there's his friends Priscilla and Aquila, Jews who'd been kicked out of Rome. They're hardworking tent makers, uh, maybe a bit rough around the edges, maybe a basic education, uh, sort of like the fishermen that Jesus trained as his first disciples. They, they seem kind of like more behind-the-scenes type of people. And then there's Apollos, right? A native of the Egyptian city of Alexandria, which was a very, very scholarly city. Uh, you rem- may remember the famous ancient library of Alexandria. It was known as like the best library in the known world. And also, the, uh, there were some... Um, Jewish scholars. There was a big collection of Jewish scholars in Alexandria. They actually wrote, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, what we know as the Septuagint. So the city of Alexandria was really known for its Jewish scholars. At the time Apollos was growing up there, there was this famous Jewish philosopher named Philo. Maybe you've heard his name. He was living and working there in Alexandria. Uh, We're told that, that this man Apollos was eloquent. He had great public speaking gifts, which is different from the way Paul is described. These people, they come from almost opposite compass points of the known world. They have many differences, and yet there's something that unites all of them. There's this boldness, this dynamism, this energy. What are they doing? They're pursuing something across the world, all of them. They have purpose, Because they've been called to follow Christ, and they're doing it. I think there are many Christians who still struggle with a sense of purposelessness, and I think there's often a simple reason for it. They have not embraced the call of following Christ. In the secular world, this is called finding your big why. What is it that you feel responsible to accomplish in the world? And secular psychologists will recognize people need some answer to this question, to accomplish things, even even to have the will to live. For the Christian, answering this question always begins with Christ's words in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. Follow me. I'll never forget sitting in Jonathan's office with someone who we were counseling who was all mixed up about the choices in their life, the positives, the negatives, what should I do? And and Jonathan gently reminding them, here's what being a Christian means. Denying yourself and following Christ. It's it's not an easy calling. It's not pain-free. But it is liberating. It is a clarifying call. 
And it's a calling that doesn't just give you purpose for tomorrow, for that next thing that you want to accomplish in this world. No, it gives you purpose all the way through death, where Christ leads you into eternity. Now, does following Jesus mean you have to be like Apollos? No, of course not, right? We're not all gifted or qualified like Apollos. But every Christian receives the Holy Spirit and is gifted and qualified to be a member of the body of Christ, without which the body does not grow. You can do something for Christ. No one else can. You can do something for Christ. No one else can. Can. Not because you're irreplaceable. We are all replaceable. But because God prepared specific works for you to do. And he has gifted and qualified you for exactly those things. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were gifted, qualified, and prepared for exactly this moment when Apollos would arrive and need someone to help him to teach the truth about God more accurately. In fact, some people think that because Priscilla is usually named first, she was the more gifted teacher of the couple. I don't think we can know that for certain, but it's certainly a possibility. Uh, Priscilla may not be qualified to teach publicly in the church because the Bible teaches that the public teachers in the church are to be men, 1 Timothy 2.12. And yet, she is exactly the right person, along with Aquila, to take this genius Apollos aside and supply what he was lacking. Do not discount your ability and your call to serve Christ in perhaps small but absolutely crucial ways. Do not despise the gifts you have been given, even if you feel you are lowly or you wish you had been given other gifts. Do not despise that God has not qualified you to serve in certain ways. Your disqualification for some things may, in fact, qualify you for other things you aren't expecting and no one else can do. Young people who may not be sure where to fit in, make sure you hear this. You can do something for Christ. No one else can. Older people, quiet people, anxious people who may feel a bit out of the action, people who have only a very little margin to give, that little bit, that quiet role means something when you are following Christ. If you're looking out for you, well, yeah, then it, it may not mean much because, you know, you're not the big kahuna and, and nobody saw that little kindness that you did. But if you're following Christ, you are achieving your true purpose. But I want you to see finally in this text the peace that comes from knowing God's gospel. So my third point, peace from God's gospel. In our text, this point flows from the beautiful interaction between Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, which is the climax of this little story, right? Four verses. This is the climax. Here we have Apollos described as a very, very gifted man. I mean, it's, it's a list there. He's a skilled public speaker. 
He's got a full grasp of Scripture. He's fervent in spirit. The Greek word for fervent, it's like boiling or burning, you know, with this desire to tell people about Jesus. But he doesn't have things totally figured out yet. He only knows the baptism of John, we're told. And it's hard to know exactly what that means. It's a little bit of, it appears to be a little bit of a, of a code word, a phrase that's used here. Uh, but we do know that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He was calling on people to repent of their sin. And we know that John recognizes Jesus as the Savior, right? You might remember him calling Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Apollos must have known that much at least. The text says in verse 25, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He, he must have known people need to repent, and Jesus is the way of salvation. Uh, but maybe he didn't know some of the later things that Jesus did and taught, his resurrection, his glorious ascension to heaven, his sending of gifts through the Holy Spirit to his people. He was maybe, uh, he was a little bit behind uh, theologically. Uh, not wrong on what he knew, right? He taught accurately what he knew. Just missing some of these developments that occurred after John. So he finishes this speech in the synagogue, okay? And you can kind of just imagine the scene. Everyone's like, wow, this incredible intellectual from the great city of Alexandria. Man, he knows his stuff. And he's such a good speaker. And then, you know, Priscilla and Aquila show up. And, you know, they're dressed like uh, tent makers. Maybe they still look kind of foreign, low class. Uh, and they come up to Apollos. Hey, uh, great talk, man, but <laughs> you got some things wrong. Uh, why don't you come aside with us and we'll fix you up? Right? Apollos maybe is thinking, who are you jokers? I mean, there are so many reasons for Apollos to reject these people, to be offended, to laugh at them. Everything is stacked against a, a peaceful resolution to this moment of confrontation. Apollos has, has a couple reasons to look, and multiple reasons to look down on this couple. They're ethnically different. They've got a different social class, different education level. There's even this significant gender barrier here. Priscilla is at least part of the teaching team, if not maybe the primary teacher, as I mentioned earlier. And in a, in a patriarchal world, we can imagine Paula saying, oh sure, this lady's going to teach me theology? <laughs> you guys are so cute. But he doesn't. What's going on here? How do we get such a beautiful resolution from such a potentially inflammatory moment? I think it's clear. Apollos has been truly changed by the gospel. He believes that he is accepted by God even when he is confronted with failure. And so he responds peacefully. If the sum of his identity were, I am the elo eloquent, skilled speaker of God's words, he will, he will not be able to accept this critique, no matter how carefully Priscilla and Aquila bring it. And we do this too, right? We, we center our identity around our performance, our knowledge, our abilities, and whatever we think we're good at. 
And someone comes up and says, we're not so good at it, and that's a recipe for an explosion. But you see, Apollo's here. Man, God's grace is at work in him because there is no explosion. There is growth. He must see himself first as a desperate sinner against God who is claimed by God as his child despite his sin. If that is the core of his identity, he's not challenged when someone says, you don't have this totally figured out yet, even if they're totally wrong or they're only a little bit right. He can accept it graciously and look to learn from that little bit that little part of their critique that is true. Because he's secure. Peace with God leads to peace with others. Even if they're not at peace with you, you can be at peace with them. I listened to a podcast this week on the importance of failure in the Christian life. And one of the speakers noted, failure is a terrible thing to waste because it's a wonderful opportunity to learn. And the podcast went on to talk about how Christians are able to accept failure and grow from it when we are rooted in the gospel. If we're going to respond to failure like Apollos did here, we need to be consistently reminded that God accepts us and claims us for his own when we were yet sinners, not by work, so that no one can boast. Christian, you do not need to live in a place of insecurity, always feeling like you need to justify your right to be in this room. What qualifies you to be in this room, worshiping God with other believers and following Jesus, is your recognition that you are a failure and your dependence on God's provision for your failures. He is the redeemer of the broken. That truth is a foundation for peace and rest in your life, in your relationships. Even in those very difficult moments when you fail. Apollo's secure foundation in the gospel allows him to be blessed by the critique of Priscilla and Aquila, and he's equipped to serve even better. He's able to go bless the church in Corinth as well to defend the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of all who believe. And this beautiful idea we see here of people who are able to help each other grow This is a difficult idea to put into practice. It is a difficult concept. It requires centering ourselves on the gospel again and again and again. We must enter every conversation with the humility of a redeemed sinner. We, you hear me on that? We must enter every conversation with the humility of a redeemed sinner. And just like God's grace is so clearly at work in the lives of the early church in Ephesus, we can pray. God's grace will be at work here at Covenant Church, showing us we can be confident God will provide. We can have purpose 
in God's call in our lives to follow Jesus. And we can live in peace even when we fail because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we ask that you would pour it out upon our church. We need to be reminded that we are accepted and claimed by you as your children, not because of works that we have done in righteousness, for we could never measure up, but we are claimed on account of the work of Christ, which is a gift. Give us faith to accept and claim that gift daily, Lord, and to turn away from seeking to live by performance, Lord, that we might not found our identity on the things that we might be good at. And so, Lord, we are able to take critique like Apollos and to grow and to serve you and your church, to follow Christ wherever he leads. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask if the elders.